This is the Power Slam podcast being recorded on June 11, 2018, and this is primarily going to be the New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion 2018 review episode, um, just of an absolutely fantastic pay-per-view level event and New Japan Pro Wrestling featuring the main event of Kazuchika Okada versus Kenny Omega. Uh, as I've speculated, and I would imagine every other individual who did any sort of preview with respect to this match speculated, it did end up going to a full three falls. But I did predict incorrectly as to who would get the falls when, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the result of the match and just how incredible it was and where it kind of falls in the pantheon of not only Okada Omega matches, but pro wrestling as a whole particularly modern-day pro wrestling, as we talk about maybe here the 2000s and 2010s. We'll also go over the remainder of the card, uh, the other big matches uh, being Chris Jericho and Tetsuya Naito for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship, the heavyweight tag belts with the Young Bucks being now in the heavyweight class against Evil and Sonata, the champions, and then the champion Will Osprey defending the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship against Hiromu Takahashi, the winner of the Best of the Super Juniors. But that is going to be the episode, so if you have not yet watched all of Dominion, or maybe you watch a couple matches, haven't seen the remainder of the card, you may want to wait just a little bit, but when I post this, and again, I'm recording this on Monday, June 11th, hopefully I'll have it posted by Wednesday, June 13th, it will very clearly read that this is a Dominion review. Um, so there shouldn't be any confusion as to what is contained within this podcast, I wouldn't think. Um, I guess we may as well just go full bore because most people are going to want to hear discussion about the Okada Omega match, and they don't want to let the podcast linger and put that at the end. So let's put it at the beginning. Okada Omega 4, and as I predicted, and like I said, just about everybody else did, 5 and 6 as they went to full 3 falls. And when Kazuchika Okada got that first fall of the three, that is not what I predicted. I predicted Omega would get the first one, and then Okada would get the last two. Of course, Okada got the first one, and Omega got the last two, uh, becoming the new IWGP heavyweight champion. And um, a very emotional moment for him, being Kenny Omega, certainly for also Kota Ibushi and for the Young Bucks. I mean, all four of them in the ring uh, were pretty struck by the whole thing and um, as they should have been it was a monumental moment and a monumental match to uh, as the prelude to the monumental moment and that's the way it should have been it should have been two guys in Omega and Okada who were just going to go at it give absolutely everything they had to the match and put on a show especially if it was going to be a coronation for Kenny Omega as the face of New Japan heading into the Cow Palace show in July in San Francisco. And if you'll notice on the card, actually before I get into Okada Omega, I do want to mention just some general observations from the show. If you'll notice on the card, how many Westerners won titles on this card? Okay, and again, this is a review, so I, I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything here. Michael Elgin with the Never Open Weight Championship, which was something I don't think anybody really expected all that much. I thought if it was going to change hands, it was going to be Tai Chi. Either that or Goto was going to keep it. Um, so for Elgin to have gotten it, that was a surprise. Then the Young Bucks, when their first foray into the heavyweight division, beating Evil and Sonata, which, again, this being their first real main heavyweight match, that was a surprise. 
And then Omega, to me, was a surprise. I didn't call any of these matches, any of those three. I did not call a single one of those. And then, even though I stuck with Night, the only one I almost called, I give myself, I won't even, well, I won't give myself partial credit because I didn't actually call it on the cast. But after I recorded the preview cast, I thought to myself that there was a decent shot that Jericho might win that title belt. Um, well, first of all, I messed up the last cast because I said there wasn't a belt that was an issue. Then at the very end of the cast, I corrected myself, for those of you that listened all the way, and recalled that the IC Championship was on the line. But I didn't change my prediction. I should have. Um, because Jericho ends up winning that. So now you've got Kenny Omega with, I, with the heavyweight belt. Chris Jericho with the IC belt, the Young Bucks with the heavyweight tag titles, and Michael Elgin with the never open weight belt. All four Westerners, and they will pretty much guaranteed, because it's about a month away, to be all champions at the time that they enter the Cow Palace for the G1 Special in San Francisco. So that's extremely calculated to me by New Japan. There's no doubt about it. They specifically knew what they wanted to do, and they lined up those four as champions, well, I guess five, since this is the Young Bucks, um, as champions heading into that show. So, again, not a problem, but they're catering to a Western audience, they're catering to an English-speaking audience, and they're trying to make inroads there, so to have as many Western champions as they could possibly have heading into that show makes sense. And the only one that was a switch, actually, from a Westerner to a Japanese star was the Junior Heavyweight Championship when Will Ospreay was defeated by Hiromu Takahashi, um, who just had all the momentum. And, and Takahashi's hot in the U.S. anyway, frankly. Um, and so is Naito, really. I mean, Naito's pretty hot in the U.S. too. Um, but to have Jericho, who was very clearly signed to do that special, uh, win the IC belt, that can really get the crowd energized and bring a lot more eyeballs to the product. I mean, you've got a bona fide WWE superstar Somebody who really people only know from having been in WCW for a short bit and then WWE for the remainder of his career, now working in New Japan, now being the Intercontinental Champion, heading into that show. And if that's not going to draw eyeballs, I don't know what is. That and Kenny Omega on his first heavyweight championship reign, I mean, those are some smooth moves by New Japan that's going to, you know, like I said, get attention for the product. And... Another thing that I want to talk about, again, before Okada Omega, I should, probably should save some of this for the end, but I think it's all very interesting. Chris Jericho mentioned in some podcasts before doing Dominion, okay, he specifically mentioned in one, he talked about his relationship with Vince and how Vince was very supportive of his original match in New Japan being Wrestle Kingdom 12 against uh, Omega, okay? And then he said that Vince has continued to kind of be supportive, but the support appears as though it's kind of waning. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to wane real quickly if Chris Jericho ends up stepping into the Cow Palace as the Intercontinental Champion wrestling to Tuya which I pretty much guarantee you is going to happen. And that's whether or not Vince McMahon and Triple H and everyone else think that New Japan is a viable competitor, okay? Because here, here's the main problem. Chris Jericho, who is a long-time, again, WWE employee, supporter, somebody who's gained the respect of Vince McMahon, is now going to do a show for, again, whether or not WWE holds themselves out as competitors, or excuse me, New Japan as competitors. New Japan certainly holds themselves out as competitors to WWE. And Chris Jericho is going to be one of the main attractions on a competing card. 
in the United States. And when he was doing it in Japan, that was one thing. To do it at Wrestle Kingdom, to do it in a very Japanese-heavy Tokyo Dome crowd, I don't think Vince was going to get on him about that. And again, Vince may, I don't know if he encouraged it, but he may have been supportive of it, or certainly didn't push against it as much as he could have. But now that Jericho is doing a show for a competing product who, that's looking to expand specifically in the United States, in San Francisco, I, I think that that attitude from Vince is going to change, and it's going to change fast. And Jericho said on that podcast, he said, you know, at some point I might get a call. Well, that call's going to come. And Hunter might already be, in, be encouraging Vince to make it, or he's maybe going to do it himself. I don't know. But it's quite obvious to any observer at this point that Chris Jericho is going to wrestle at that Cow Palace show. Now, I just actually looked at an updated card for the Cow Palace show against the uh, 2018 G1 special in the U.S., uh, much like the G1 special from last year in Los Angeles. And interestingly enough, Naito is going to be involved in a different match or a match that's not an IWGPIC title match with Jericho. Instead, right now, it looks like he is booked to be in a tag match with he and Bushi against Kazuchika Okada and Will Osprey. So I, I just saw that listed, and you know, it made me do a double take. I'm like, wait a minute. So Jericho isn't defending against Naito. And as a matter of fact, the post-match angle, now that I recall, geez, it's like I had forgotten everything that took place since Saturday morning when I watched all this. Uh, the post-match night uh, angle included Evil uh, coming out and running Jericho off from attacking Naito. So it is likely that we're going to see a Jericho defense at the Cow Palace against Evil. But regardless, Jericho is going to be at that show. He was just on the last episode of Being the Elite from Osaka that was filmed there. And he is now, likely due to his good friend Don Callis, being involved in the upper executive management of Impact Wrestling put Impact Wrestling in addition to ROH on his Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea which is again scheduled to take place in either October or November of this year. So now he, he's got all of these different tie-ins with different promotions. He was on Being the Elite which promotes the cause for a handful of wrestlers that none of whom are in WWE and by proxy then promotes those promotions that they're they do wrestle in you know i think that he is right there in terms of getting his not not only his hand slap but even potentially going beyond that um with management at wwe so we, we could be seeing the end potentially of chris jericho working in wwe and some strained relations forthcoming and again i know that he's got vince's respect and everything else but he's right there and on the knife's edge on really taking a substantial amount of heat from WWE. So uh, before I thought he should be careful. Now I'm just wondering if mentally he's not at the point where he's past being careful and instead focused on these other opportunities and just saying, you know what? I'm not contracted to WWE. I know I've been loyal to them for a long time, but it's time for me to take a different path. And if that's not how he's going to go with it. Um, because at 47, you know, he's got to be looking at it, thinking to himself, well, it's very unlikely I'm going to do any more full-time runs. 
I'm going to do what I want to do in this business and what I want to do are you know, very limited dates. I work with some people I've never worked with previously. Um, in WWE, there is always the opportunity to an extent for that with wrestlers getting into NXT being called up to the main roster. But they're going to want Jericho to sign something that he probably doesn't want to sign. They're going to want him to commit to dates he doesn't want to commit to. And this, is, I think, is his way of staying free of that. So we'll see if it works out. Um, I think New Japan is quite obviously a burgeoning promotion. I think Ring of Honor has taken a little bit of an uptick recently, uh, but has stayed kind of stagnant. Um, but again, maybe had some sort of uptick recently. Um, just again, I think by proxy due to New Japan's popularity because there are certain wrestlers, specifically Bullet Club members, that cross over between ROH and New Japan. Um, and then Impact's Impact. I don't. They haven't made an impact on me, and I don't think that they're making much of an impact on the wrestling world. But hopefully, under the new management they're under with Callus and, and the rest of those guys, they can uh, push forward and, and at least break in. I know they're filming a lot in Canada. Maybe break in with the Canadian market and be a big promotion up there. Um, other than those overall thoughts, um, just some miscellaneous stuff. I thought the production values of Dominion were very good. I thought they did a great job of cutting to different camera angles. I think there was only one time where we were watching a replay. It might have been during the Okada Omega match where there was a move that transpired and then there was a subsequent pin attempt and they were doing the replay or showing the replay of the move during the pin attempt. <laughs> so we didn't actually get to see the pin. Um, other than that, I, I thought that it was very smooth. I thought the title cha uh, changes, as I stated, make sense in the context of what they are trying to do going forward. Uh, so we'll talk about that during the review. And with that, let's just get into the review. Let's get into it. Let's talk about Omega Okada. Again, I don't want to ramble for a half hour. I've already gone 10 minutes without going over that match. Um, so let's do it now. There are a lot of those who are quick, again, to jump in and say either this is the best Okada Omega match, um, you know, best wrestling match ever. There are some people doing that. There are other people who are a little more reserved saying, you know what, it was a fantastic match. Uh, but let's not get carried away. You know, I guess I'm in that. And then there are a very, very small handful of people who I think are just doing it to do it, who are deadpanning the match, um, which I don't agree with at all. I think that those people need their heads checked and have a completely different understanding of wrestling. They're the sports entertainment individuals, not the pro wrestling individuals, as far as I'm concerned. But this match was a two out of three falls match. And as I stated at the beginning, uh, it was Okada with the first fall, uh, getting it off of the counter. I can't remember if he countered the one-wing angel or what he counted spe countered specifically, but he ended up sitting on top of Omega, hooking the legs, and got the fall that way. Um, and then it was great because it was just complete jerk Okada afterwards with that smirky grin that he put on kind of baiting Omega, saying, you know, hey, look, I got this one, man, 1-0, you know I'm un you know, unbeatable, basically, you know I've got this, uh, and that was just great. I, I think Okada, what, what makes him one of the best and why he was number one in the PWI uh, list for 2017, um, it's it, with those little things that he does. I, I think that his facial expressions, he's so good at telling a story through his facial expressions during a match that... You know, the, despite the fact that I, I think he speaks English, but from what I understand, it's very limited. Uh, I mean, he did work in the U.S. while he was an impact for a period of time. So he does have some understanding of the language, but it's not great. 
but he doesn't necessarily need to know English all that well when, again, he tells such a fantastic story through those facial expressions, through his actions. Um, you know, it translates you know, across all borders, essentially. So th there's the first fall that occurred that way. The second fall was Omega hitting a one-winged angel to get it, and that was at about the 50-minute mark. The first fall was about the 30-minute mark, or just before that. And it was great that the way that they did it, because with those Omega Okada matches, it's very difficult for one of them to pin the other, as we know, because they've had such long matches. So to get the first fall at, what was it, either 28 or 29 minutes in, um, and to do it on a counter where you're hooking the legs off of a finisher, that was a more believable way for one of them to pin the other. You know, it wasn't a rainmaker, it wasn't anything like that that occurred within the first half hour. Instead it was, I, I guess I won't call it a cheap pin, but a conniving pin, how about something like that, um, that was able to get accomplish you know, the first fall. So I like that they did that psychologically. Um, then the 50 minute mark, Omega hits a one-winged angel. And then the last one, I can't remember when it happened, it was about the 70 minute mark. Uh, Omega hits another one-winged angel uh, to put him away, get the victory. And the crowd, you know, lost it and was sent home happy. It was a very pro-Kenny crowd. I would say, you know, for those of us that watched it, I, you know, I would say it was probably about 75 or 80 percent behind Omega, uh, the rest in Okada. But you could hear there were dueling chants at various times during the match of, you know, obviously, Okada, Okada, and then Kenny, Kenny. And the Kennys were drowning out the Okadas for the most part. Um... And he's very popular there, as he should be. He's very committed to New Japan as a promotion. And I think that Gato and Jado, you're finally... I don't know if... It's not that they never understood that. It's that they were concerned. You know, they are still the smaller promotion compared to WWE. There's no doubt about it. Um, they are... I think, to me, New Japan personally is unequivocally a number two. But again, because they're a Japanese-based promotion here in the United States, it's hard to necessarily say that definitively I, I think most people in the u.s would probably say maybe a ring of honor is number two um but again worldwide I, I think to me there's no doubt that new japan's right there worldwide that they're the number two promotion um, they are the promotion everybody's essentially jealous of and i personally can't wait to see what happens next um every, every after every show you know dominion just happens and you know, I'm basking in the glory that is Dominion, and now I'm wondering what's going to occur next, particularly with Kenny Omega now with the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. How is this going to unfurl? Um, but regardless, they, they went back. They knew the Cal Palace show was coming up. Jado and Gato did. And had the confidence and the commitment um, to put the belt on him to be their flag bearer as they continue to try to expand into the U.S. market and the Canadian market. Um, and it's that fact that he speaks Japanese, and he's fully Im immersed in the Japanese culture, in the promotion. He wants to be the man for New Japan, leading them into 2018, 2019, and you know worldwide expansion. And I think he's the guy to do it. He's got the charisma. He's certainly got the wrestling acumen, and he's got the attention of a lot of people worldwide. I went on CBS Sports. I think it was later in the day on Saturday, and actually it might have been yesterday, Sunday. And what did they have up? What was their headline under their wrestling section? Okay, which, by the way, the wrestling section, I think same thing with ESPN, is titled WWE. You go in there, 
and what's in there. New Japan, thoughts from Dominion. That was the lead story. That was their top one on CBS Sports uh, for, again, the wrestling section. So they're grabbing the attention of everyone, frankly, I think at this point. And it's awesome to see. I'm so glad that they've been able to expand in this market. And wrestling is hot right now. I think it's something It's like one of those retro things to me where you've got the kids who grew up in the late 90s in the Attitude Era um, who are now having kids and having their kids watch wrestling, much like they did when they were young. Um, they want to kind of immerse their children in it and you get them to enjoy a lot of the things that they used to enjoy. And that's going to pay dividends for WWE, as I think we've all seen in their stock price, uh, which has gone up pretty substantially lately. But also it's going to create competition and potentially uh, bring some of these other promotions, these smaller promotions being New Japan, Ring of Honor, maybe to a lesser degree impact, but I think those two, those first two that I mentioned uh, being the top two, hopefully bring them up and buoy them and make them more national United States products um, to, to really put the screws maybe to a degree to WWE and force them to compete. Um, and I, that's what everybody wants. Shouldn't it be what everybody wants? Competition for WWE? Because, I mean, to put competition at the heels of the number one promotion will cause a better product to come forward. And I think that's what everybody wants. In terms of the match itself, again, super high-quality match between two of the best performers, if not the two best performers in the world today. The main critique of the match that I've seen um, was that Omega, in his pre-match promos, basically made the match about stamina saying, hey, we're doing a two, three, two out of three falls match, and Okada doesn't have the stamina that I have. I can go longer than him. I can go harder than he can. Um, he's going to get worn out. And Kenny came into the match looking like a million bucks. I mean, he was cut to the bone. Just just really looking good. Looked like he had worked out like you wouldn't believe ahead of this match and was going to be able to go the distance Maybe not no problem. I, I can't say that when you're talking about a 70-minute wrestling match, but um, without any doubt that he can make it work, and that's exactly what happened. Um, the problem, again, being with the stamina directive from Kenny was that he didn't come out of the gates firing on all cylinders. If you're going to say, I can outlast you um, to a degree, I think people expected, okay, so you've got the stamina, come out and show him that you have the stamina and really start beating him up right from the get-go, and Kenny really didn't do that. And then Okada got the first fall, uh, with Kenny having sort of fallen into the Okada trap, so to speak. So that was a minor criticism. Other than that, in terms of the spots, there were really no missed spots that I can recall. I do remember them having set up a table, and the table still being out at one point. I, I don't, they might have, and they kind of faked a move on the table. And somebody, it might have been Okada, I don't know if he powerbombed Kenny or did some sort of, a, maybe did a DDT to Kenny out of the ring after Kenny was trying to get him up, I think to do a one-winged angel on the table, um, and then that was countered, but the table never ended up factoring in. I think it was actually sitting out there, um, set up for the remainder of the match, and again, never ended up being a portion of what transpired. But, again, I think that adds to the match. Why do you, if you don't have to use the table, don't use the table, <laughs> you know? Um, again, it's the little things with New Japan that, that make it interesting. But all the crazy dives, you know, the Rise of the Terminator dive, that was 
towards the beginning of the match, actually, that Kenny did was flawless. I mean, it's, he went higher and longer than I've ever seen. Again, because he's so cut and because he's so well-built for that kind of stuff right now. Okada, as I mentioned before, with the facial expressions, um, he went the distance. Um, I'm sure he was more gassed than Kenny was at the end because he's not in as good a shape as Kenny is. But put on another top-level performance as the foil, as the guy who you know, was promoted as the unbeatable star. There's no way you can do this no matter what you do, no matter how hard you train. You're not going to be able to beat me and take this title. And that's the attitude he presented during the match. And it, it again, made for a fantastic story when Kenny Omega was able to overcome and win in the end. Multiple attempts at Rainmakers by Okada that uh, many of them did not connect. I think he, he definitely connected at least one Rainmaker during the course of the match. I don't even know if he connected on two throughout the entirety of the match. Um, I know he did one, but a lot of missed, a lot of counter Rainmakers, which is fine. Because, again, it goes towards one of my issues with WWE. In New Japan, when you hit a finisher, it's a big deal. There's not a lot of finishing kickouts. And the Rainmaker's a little bit different because at this juncture, you know that it's something that Okada can kind of hit mid-match. And, you know, if it's, for instance, for this match... He might have hit his Rainmaker, the one that I'm thinking of, before the first fall. Um, you kind of knew because it was so early in the match that it wasn't going to be the pin. But they've morphed the Rainmaker into kind of a two or three, you know, move thing in order to get the pin. But with that, they've also adapted Okada in that they've also added the Cobra Clutch as one of his moves um, for a finish. So, you know, add additional finishers try to mix up and diversify the move set to match the evolution of what's going on in the ring. And WWE just doesn't do that well enough. They really don't. But you knew that when Kenny would hit one winged angel, that was going to be, be a big deal. And sure enough, they kept it that way during the match. He hit one winged angel twice, and both times he got a pin. The second and third falls. And that's the way that it should be. Again, Kenny could adapt and have a new finisher if it took multiples or something like that, but you know, the one-winged angel has been very protective, has been very special, and they, they've done such a good job keeping him that way that, you know, don't destroy it. Make sure that it's a, it's a big move and it's a big deal every time it's hit, and New Japan has done that. So that's where we stand uh, with Okada and Mega. Again, fantastic match. If you are a WWE fan, if you are not a fan of New Japan or don't really know much about New Japan, um, or maybe you looked at New Japan World one time and you know saw a bad match on Wrestle Kingdom or something like that and kind of swore it off. Go go get New Japan World right now. We'll go back and watch that match. They've got it actually parsed out so you don't have to watch uh, all of Dominion. They've got this match and the Jericho Naito match uh, specifically taken out, and you can just do a quick click and get to enjoy those matches on demand very quickly. And I would recommend that to anybody who's anybody who's a pro wrestling fan. So please go do that. Uh, one other thing before I move on from this, uh, so Kenny Omega's first challenger um, for a title defense is going to be Cody. And that is taking place at the Cow Palace Show, the G1 special in San Francisco. Now, to tie that into what's going on with the Bullet Club, so let's talk about the Bullet Club again, just a little bit before we move on. The video package for the Kenny Omega Kazuchika Okada match that was played beforehand. Um, there was only one for Kenny, there wasn't one for Okada. 
but the Kenny video package had him basically talking to Ibushi. Like, first of all, it's Kenny walking through, like, a hallway, and then there are all these memories coming up of him losing to Okada, his strife within the Bullet Club, him falling out of favor with the Young Bucks, and then who shows up, but, you know, to guide him, essentially, to the next portion of his career, but Kota Ibushi, all right? So then he's talking to Ibushi in Japanese, and... Of course, they have English subtitles, which I'm glad that they do to, again, cater to the ever-growing Western audience. And, um, you know, what was it? Obushi, one of his lines during that video package was, what has it cost you? Or something like that. Um, you know, being this transition and his evolution trying to defeat Okada. You know, because his mission has been getting that heavyweight championship. What does it cost you? And Kenny responded everything, and when he did that, it showed a graphic of the Bullet Club logo, and then it like disintegrated. So let's tie that into the most recent being the Elite. The most recent being the Elite was filmed both before and after, in very small portions, Dominion. All right. At the end of the most recent episode of Being the Elite, it shows Cody, who is coming to Kenny's dressing room, essentially, which supposedly at this time, again, who knows when they filmed all this stuff. But supposedly at the time, it was post-Dominion, is what they made it seem like. And it would have been Kenny in there with Ibushi, Matt, and Nick Jackson. All right. Cody walks up to the dressing room, and he's got, like, a champagne bottle and, like, an envelope or something like that. And I don't know what's supposed to be in the envelope, a card or something, but it's written on the outside of the envelope. Congratulations, Kenny. You are the true leader of the Bullet Club. Or something along those lines. Okay. So then Cody brings himself up to Kenny's dressing room, but then can't pull the trigger on walking inside. So, you know, (laughs) between those two things, what are we supposed to believe about Kenny standing within the Bullet Club, even Cody standing within the Bullet Club, what the Young Bucks are doing um, with all the post-match stuff that happened to Dominion? I don't know. And... The post-match stuff at Dominion, again, if, if you watched it, you'll know this. If you didn't, you won't unless you read it somewhere. But the post-match stuff was the Young Bucks coming out to celebrate with Kenny and Kota Ibushi, who had been by Kenny's side during the match, who had been in his corner. Um, and then you didn't know how Kenny was going to react with the Bucks, and then he gave Matt a hug and Nick a hug, and then Ibushi joined in. And then afterwards, they went back and they all wore their Golden Elite t-shirts. Okay, So they're the Golden Elite being Kenny, Kota Ibushi, and the Young Bucks. But what does that mean for the Bullet Club? Okay, so we had the Elite before, now we have the Golden Elite. Is Kota Ibushi now in the Bullet Club? Are Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks no longer in the Bullet Club? Who is the leader of the Bullet Club? We had the Bullet Club logo disintegrate, but then we had Cody try to enter into the dressing room to tell Kenny he's the, that Kenny is the true leader of the Bullet Club. It, it's incredibly confusing. And... The portion of it, so I, I, I appreciate the storylines to an extent, but there, it's I, I don't know what the Bullet Club is. That's the problem, is Bullet Club has become sort of an amorphous blob at this time, and I don't know who's encompassed within that amorphous, amorphous blob. I mean, the only people who I can even designate, designate as true Bullet Club are probably Hangman, Marty Scrawl from the ROH contingent, and then all of the... OGBC type guys from New Japan, um, you know, Tama Tonga, Bad Luck Fale, Tonga Loa, um, 
Yujiro Takahashi, you know, Chase Owens, um, you know, Hukulio. So they're all Bullet Club. But what in the world is going on with Kenny, Cody, and the Bucks? And this still hasn't been decided. And to me, it seems like, like especially with that video package, that Kenny Omega is no longer a portion of the Bullet Club. Despite that message from Cody. It, it makes me believe that he is no longer in the Bullet Club. Maybe there will be some culmination of kicking him out of the Bullet Club. That takes place at the G1 special. But the most, con- most confounding por- portion of all of this, to me, oh, and Taiji Ishimori is in the Bullet Club, obviously, Bone Soldier. Um, the most confounding portion of all of this is what are those OGBC, the New Japan contingent, basically, of the Bullet Club? What are they doing? <laughs> Where is Bad Luck Fale? Where is Tom- Tamatonga? Where are they, and why can't they come out and tell us what's going on? I mean, you had Thomas send out that funny Twitter picture of him with his makeup on drinking a cup of coffee. I thought that was pretty hilarious. But other than that, what what have they done to further the storyline? What are they going to do? I think there was a lot of speculation that they may come out following the match at Dominion and have something to say about the state of Bullet Club. They didn't. Um, so I am just incredibly confused about you know what's going on here and the state of Bullet Club generally. But... Hopefully there is some sort of clarification that's offered here. Because despite the fact that, you know, I I think the storyline element is interesting, it's to the point, again, where it's more frustrating than has kept me hooked. I think it's it's very haphazard in the way that they've done it. Because really, at this point, if you've got a strong wrestling faction, really the most popular wrestling, wrestling faction in the world right now, you would imagine that one of the members of that wrestling faction would step forward and say, I'm the leader. You know, there's there's no leadership. I'm the leader. I'll be the leader because this, you know, thing needs a leader, and it's going to be me. And that hasn't happened. I thought for sure by now, Tom and Tonga, there would be some sort of storyline element with him having come forward and done that. And I figured that would have been like two, three months ago, if not longer, and that still hasn't happened. So at this point, if it's going to happen, I, I'm kind of losing faith that one, it's going to happen, and two, even if it does, what's the impact at this point? And so then that, that begs the question, because Cody did come out on the ramp. That's the other thing I didn't say. Cody came out on the ramp after the match for a hot minute. And I think that was also a portion of the last being the Elite episode. I didn't catch that whole point of that part of the show. It was towards the end. It was when Cody was backstage talking with Hangman, who's sort of been his right-hand man in all of this. Um, and I think that that's what the storyline element was. Cody came out, and then he thought better of coming out to do anything with Kenny and then return to the back. But why does that result in a Kenny-Cody match at the G1 special? I understand that they're going to want to continue to push that because, again, Cody being a Western wrestler, going against Kenny, who's a Western wrestler, certainly makes sense from that perspective. But how is this advancing a storyline at this point? I thought that the Supercard of Honor match that they had two months ago was supposed to have determined the leadership of the Bullet Club, and yet here we are (laughs) two months after the fact. We still don't know who the leader of the Bullet Club is, so we're just left to wonder at this point um, until we get some additional storyline clarity. I think that's where New Japan, in conjunction with ROH, have really messed up the most from a storyline standpoint, is what's going on at the Bullet Club. Everything else... They're usually very crisp on this one specific element. They have not been crisp on in a lot of different ways. And it makes me really wonder because they're so good 
Yeah, keeping storylines fresh, moving the action along, having things make sense. Why can't they do it on this one very important point being the biggest faction in the world right now? Um, don't know. To go back here um, to end kind of my Bullet Club discussion so we can move on to the next match being the challenger Chris Jericho coming in to take on Tetsuya Naito for the Intercontinental Championship. This was the second to last match of the night. Received some very high billing in the marketing and previews for the event as a whole. Jericho going after his 10th Intercontinental Championship, nine with WWE, and now this one with New Japan being the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. Tetsuya Naito trying to stop the crazy foreigner X, I, I guess at this point, we'll talk about this more, but maybe ex-WWE wrestler Chris Jericho um, from coming in and doing damage. Along those lines of ex-WWE wrestler, one more point on the Cow Palace show. I noticed that the card for the Cow Palace show has, as I said, Naito and Bushi versus Okada and Will Osprey, but it also has an IWGP tag team title, heavyweight tag team title rematch between the Young Bucks and Sonata and Evil. All right. So even though we had the Evil sort of storyline, or at least Evil showing up to run Jericho off after the Naito match, and we know that Naito's otherwise engaged in a tag match at the G1 special, that means both of Jericho's potential opponents are otherwise engaged in matches. So who in the world, if Jericho is wrestling now at the G1 special, the question becomes, who is he wrestling? And now, with that in mind, those two specific aspects, I'm starting to wonder if Jericho is not going to wrestle at the Cow Palace show. See, this is what happens over the course of this podcast. In the beginning of the podcast, I'm so sure, as I'm recording this, that Jericho is going to wrestle in the Cow Palace show. Now, after seeing portions of the card vetted out, for the upcoming show, I think he, he's not going to be wrestling in the Cow Palace show. So, the latter would make more sense for the reasons that I mentioned earlier in the cast about upsetting Vince and upsetting WWE management in general and wanting to stay on a level where he could go back and continue to work for them. From that aspect, it makes more sense for him to pass on that show, not do anything in the United States right now, and not rub anybody the wrong way. So, I hope things work out for Jericho because he's a hell of an entertainer as far as I'm concerned. And I would really like him to wrestle at the G1 special just for my own personal enjoyment, but if it's going to cut him off from WWE when there are still a lot of wrestlers over there that he has not had programs with that, frankly, I would like to see, then maybe, again, it's best that he holds off on this specific opportunity and defends that title at another time. So going back to the Jericho-Naito match, um... It was, again, very much like what I anticipated it being in that it was a brawl between Jericho and Naito. It was a lot like Jericho Omega. A lot of just simple brawling, mauling, punches, tossing into barricades on the outside. A lot of action focused on the outside, as a matter of fact. I would say the majority of the match took place outside the ring. Some sloppiness in the countering. Um, There's at least one or two sequences that I can think of offhand where there was just some clear miscommunication or, or mistiming, I guess you would call it, by Jericho 
trying to either counter a Destino or some other sequence. But it overall told a good story otherwise. And Jericho, it was really just Jericho beating the absolute crap out of Nitor. I mean, just <laughs> literally pounding him into submission and turning him into jelly for the first 10 minutes of the match. I mean, I don't even know if Naito got any offense in whatsoever. Um, but it became that at the very beginning. Naito tried to come back, um, but I think the overall storyline being that Jericho just had him beaten too badly for him to do so. Uses the rough bump, hits him with the low blow, hits him with the code breaker, and there is your title. Now, one mention that I do have from the match specifically was I know that Jericho was going for a situation where he was the heel, okay, in a major way, whereas Naito was the big baby face. I really think that he anticipated going into Osaka Joe Hall with a huge heel wave behind him, everybody looking at him as kind of the evil foreigner, the evil westerner coming in to take this title. That's what he tried to drum up in his video promos and also by attacking Naito the two times physically, okay? When it came down to it, however, the Osaka Joe Hall crowd, and for those of you that watch, I'd be interesting, interested to hear your take, but to me it was a very pro-Jericho crowd. The crowd, in fact, was chanting on many occasions, Y2J, 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 more so than Naito. I mean, there was some Naito, Naito, but not nearly as much. It was being drowned out, and I didn't anticipate that. I really thought that the crowd generally was going to take Naito's side and Jericho was going to get what he wanted in terms of that heel heat and be the bad guy, but that's not really what happened. You just never know how a crowd's going to react. In Japan, usually it's more paint-by-numbers, I think, in that the Japanese crowds are so into it, they believe in kayfabe a lot more. Um, they're not as much into the tweeners or the heels. They really go for the baby faces, especially if they're pushed as such. And Naito generally, as everybody knows, gets very, very, very positive reactions. But this Osaka Joe Hall crowd just apparently seemed to want Jericho to win. And he did it, leaving Naito kind of in a heap. And, you know, again, this goes back to something I've complained about with New Japan's booking of Naito for the last few months, ever since he lost at Wrestle Kingdom 12. You have him lose, you have him lose all the momentum that he had, which just, was just an unbelievable wave of momentum heading into that huge event. You have him lose, how are you going to rehab him? Well, apparently not very well, because he seems to continue to lose matches. So he gets the IC Championship from Suzuki, that's a big win, and it seems great, right? Then the first defense that you have for him of that title against Chris Jericho, he ends up losing. So now he's becoming a guy that can't seem to get over the hump. And so now you're going to have to rehab him big time with a win over Jericho. I, I sort of speculated that this was something that they could do, and I'm sure that they have Jericho signed to another date. If it's not the G1 special in the U.S., maybe the G1 final in Japan. Um, but I, I, I can guarantee you they've got him signed up for another date for him to come back and drop that title, I'm assuming, back to Naito. Or maybe to Evil, depending on that post-match runoff, but they've, they've got to rehab Naito, and they've got to kind of get him back towards the top, because all that momentum that he had with the crowd, all the babyface energy that he developed during the course of the G1, beating Kenny Omega in the final, the crowd was basically rabid to have him become the man, 
and now you've really lost that with him. So is there a way to get that back? And that's the challenge that Gato and Jado face. And I'm not sure how they do it. I think it's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly difficult to do. That's why when you have that situation like you did have going into Wrestle Kingdom 12, where he had all the momentum and had the fans behind him, you can't squander that opportunity. You can't just say, you know what, yeah, let's have him lose because Okada's really making money. We're going him to break some records. Um, you know, and then we'll come back with Naito later and the crowd will be fine. And they'll come right back and be where they were with him previously. No, the crowd's not. I, and if they are, it's going to have to be because of some significant work that you put in on your end from a booking perspective to get him back to that. And the difficulty is, how do you do it? And where does it come from? And as much as I like to insert myself in certain fantasy booking scenarios, I, I don't have a good answer for that usually out of a significant win streak over some very high-level opponents. But, of course, then you could potentially stop their momentum. So that becomes a really tricky situation. But that's what you've kind of developed. And now, with Naito losing to Jericho here in June, Wrestle Kingdom was in January, so a five-month difference. Now he's set back another five months. And to rehab him for Wrestle Kingdom 13, you're pretty much going to have to have him win the G1. But going into the G1, now that he lost this match to Jericho and got the absolute crap beaten out of him, that's the big problem, is that Jericho just beat the living tar out of him. So how do you rehabilitate Tetsuya Naito as a threat heading into the G1? And if you have him just go into the G1 and win, is the crowd going to potentially turn against that because they don't see him as a believable G1 finalist and champion? From Chris Jericho's perspective, as I stated, um, he's going to come back. He's going to drop this belt to either Naito or Evil or whomever. I would prefer it be Naito because, again, we're trying to rehab him to have Naito come back and get a win over the guy that just beat him down, I think is maybe not necessary, but pretty close. So that's really what they should do. And now, again, I'm calling into question when they're going to do that. So let's just try to keep an eye on when Chris Jericho's name pops up to head back to Japan for a title defense. I'm sure it won't be at Kazuna Road, uh, which are the upcoming shows. doesn't sound like it's going to be at the Kyle Palace show unless some sort of unnamed opponent comes in. So will it be at the G1 final in August? Well, we'll find out soon, I'm sure. Next big match I wanted to talk about, and now we're going to go through them a little bit more quickly because I am about 45 minutes into this cast. Um, the Young Bucks... The challengers, again, in their first major heavyweight match in New Japan against Evil and Sonata, the champions. Um, so let's see, what do we do? I, I got one prediction wrong, two predictions wrong so far. Let's go three for three. As I said, that Evil and Sonata would retain. The Young Bucks would lose here, but potentially go on to win basically in the next handful of months. Well, that didn't happen. The Young Bucks come in, and in their first shot, end up taking out an Evil and Sonata for the titles with no less more bang for your buck who expected no bang for your buck to finish this match i mean everybody probably anticipated an indie taker or melter driver something along those lines and they had them up for those moves but could never finish them instead it was more bang for your buck that ends up getting the win which was pretty cool actually on sonata who takes the pin and the Bucks were impressive working with Evil and Sonata. That was the one thing. It was also mentioned by Kevin Kelly and Don Callis in their commentary that the Bucks were giving up a significant amount of weight to Evil and Sonata. 
but the Bucks held their own and surprisingly got him up for the Undertaker. I think it was Matt who had, gosh, was it Evil, I want to say, actually up for the Undertaker and was holding on to him. You know Matt's been lifting weights. I mean, Grant, his arms are significantly bigger than they used to be, so he has definitely been hitting the gym. But to hold somebody like Evil, even for that period of time, was pretty surprising. Um, and then that was the spot where Nick tried to go up for the Indie Taker and lost his footing on the top rope, falling down, uh, which was a great spot. Nick did a great job of selling the right shin. Matt did a great job, as he's been doing for a number of months, even going back to Wrestle Kingdom, selling the low back. And I probably would have preferred, again, a loss for the Young Bucks here, it being their first major heavyweight tag battle, um, and Evil and Sonata working so well as tag champions. But we get to see a rematch now at the G1 special at the Cow Palace, so that will be nice to see. And the Young Bucks get the big gold that is, was the gold that had been eluding them in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So they have now added that to their collection. Um, something that New Japan should stay cognizant of, and I know that the Bucks are probably very similar to Kenny Omega and their stance with New Japan, which is, hey, we want to contribute. Um, we want to help carry this brand into the new phase of being a worldwide company. But just remember, if you are Jado and Gato and you are New Japan Pro Wrestling and their new CEO, by the way, who debuted at Dominion and came out and said a few words, um, who is a Western guy. I don't know if he was American or English or Canadian. I didn't catch that. Um, but... If you are New Japan, just remember, now the Young Bucks have won your junior tag titles and they've won your heavyweight tag titles, all right? They've won the Ring of Honor tag titles. They don't sound as though they want to go their separate ways in singles wrestling, okay? Because that's where they make their money. They make their money as a tag team. Who's to say that they're not at some point here going to want to go win the WWE tag titles? I think that they have a significant amount more desire to collect all the gold and rack up the accolades than Kenny Omega. That's just what I take from being the elite and some of the other stuff. It's not to say it's good or bad. I, I just think that they've got a different perception and perspective on what they want to accomplish in their careers. So just be leery of that a little bit if you're New Japan because now you've just given the one carrot that you could dangle out in front of them from a titles perspective to them immediately in their first foray into the heavyweight division. So. Not saying it's imminent, but just watch out for that going forward. As for Sonata and Evil, they get the rematch at the Cow Palace. And later in the night, Evil, as I stated, ran down Chris Jericho after the Naito match. So let's see if he gets involved in any intercontinental title storylines. But both Sonata and Evil, they tagged very well. Both very good individual wrestlers. They will, I'm sure, both be in the G1 tournament. And this also actually gives New Japan the freedom of having the belts off of two individuals who are going to be in the G1. Because there's no way the Bucks are going to be in the G1. They won't. Um, it would be surprising. It would be a very large surprise if they were in the G1. But I do not think that they will be. So the Bucks can then defend the belts during the course of the G1 if needed in separate matches. Um, again, well, I guess that depends on if they win at the Cow Palace. If Evil and Sonata get it back, take that right off the table. Go then to another popular match on the card, being the six-man match with one side having Hiroshi Tanahashi, Jushin Thunder Liger, and Rey Mysterio versus the heels being Bullet Club of Cody, Hangman Page, and Marty Skrull. 
Um, a lot of people thought that the faces were going to win this match. That is not what happened. It was Bullet Club. So I think this one I actually predicted correctly because I said that Bullet Club would win maybe off of some confusion between Liger and Mysterio setting up a Liger-Mysterio match. That's not exactly what happened. Bullet Club did win off of Cody hitting a crossroads on Liger, but Mysterio and Liger seemed to be good after the match and there wasn't any animosity breaking down there. Uh, Mysterio, for all accounts, put on a good match. And I doubt this is the last time you're going to see Rey Mysterio in New Japan. I'm sure he will have that match with Liger, that singles match that he wants to have now that he is healthy and cleared. And then as for Bullet Club, from a storyline perspective, it was mainly a filler match. It really didn't advance much of anything, except to show that Skrull and Hangman are still united behind Cody, who is quite clearly a heel. And that's sort of the way it should be. I mean, Bullet Club is supposed to be a heel stable. Um, they became, became kind of cool and popular um, during, you know, the 2016 run. Uh, 2015, we had Styles heading into 2016 uh, with Omega taking over. But now I think they're trying to get back almost to the heel roots. And at least Cody's sense of the faction at Bullet Club seems to be reestablishing that relatively well. Then you've got the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship the champion Will Osprey defending against the winner of the Best of the Super Junior Tournament, Hiromu Takahashi. And it was the crowd favorite, Takahashi. Again, this is one of the only matches, and in fact the only match, where you saw a champion versus challenger situation that involved a Japanese side and a Western side where the Western side lost, being Osprey. Uh, otherwise, as I mentioned at the beginning here, it was all Westerners to set up for the Cow Palace show. The only title match, I think, not involving any Westerners whatsoever being the uh, Junior Tag Championships, which was El Desperado and Kanemaru versus Rapongi 3K. Um, so I will talk about that in a little bit. But Takahashi, again, is, is super over. He's over with the Western crowds. He's, I, <laughs> he's half kind of emo and half kind of goofy. I, I don't know how exactly I'd describe it. But the Japanese crowds love him. Um, and the American crowds also seem to really like him. Um, he's got a really energetic style about him. And Osprey, for as much as, again, he is a Westerner who can speak English, sort of. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know... He's a very talented wrestler. He's a very good high flyer. I almost think he actually lacks a bit from a character perspective. His facial expressions, much like Okada's, especially at the BOTSJ semifinal, which was, well, it wasn't really a semifinal. It was the last day before the final. It would have been, I think the match was Ishimori and Yo, I want to say. And he was on the apron outside the ring really cheering Yo on because Yo is a fa uh, fellow Chaos sta Stable member. Um, and then he wanted Yo to go over Ishimori, which would have kept Ishimori out of the Best of the Super Junior Final. And his facial expressions during that were great. I mean, he did an awesome job at selling that, at selling the drama of it, everything else. But his promo work, again, first of all, he speaks English, but his accent, I guess it's that New Zealand accent that he has, is extremely heavy, extremely regionalized. And if he can work on that um, a little bit and just work on his promos generally, it's not just the language barrier, but I, I think it's 
again, kind of mumbling and stumbling through the promo, speak more clearly, pace himself a little bit better. Um, I, I think that that would help him quite a bit in not just promos in New Japan, but promos in promotions across the world. Because obviously he does do a lot of work in America, does a lot of work in Britain, does a lot of work all around. So if he can work on that aspect of things, I think that would help him greatly. Um, I know just a New Zealand. I don't think he's a New Zealander. It's his um, British accent. So I'm not sure where in Britain he gets that accent from. But, yeah, if he can uh, smooth that out, I think that would help him immensely. So where do they go from here? Osprey, having lost, um, he is going to be tagging with Kazuchika Okada. It's, it's the, kind of the loser's tag here at um, the G1 Special in America. It's Will Osprey, loser of the junior heavyweight title match, and Kazuchika Okada, loser of the heavyweight title match, versus Tetsuya Naito, loser of the IC match, and Bushi, who was never in a match to begin with. So guys who are kind of um, you know soaking in their own tears and want to get out of that bath and move on to better things. So we'll see who can do that. Um, for Hiromu Takahashi, he will be going on, I'm sure, to that special to wrestle somebody. I don't know if that match has been announced at this point. You would imagine that Taiji Ishimori is going to be on the short list of individuals who he would wrestle against. Since the special is in America, you would think that New Japan would want to put Takahashi in a situation where he's wrestling a Westerner, which in the junior ranks for that promotion would probably mean Marty Stroll since I don't think he's yet been announced for a match. He would be the most likely candidate, so keep an eye out for that. Now we're starting to get further down the card, so I will be spitting these out even quicker. We could go with the never open weight title match between the champion Hiroki Goto, Michael Elgin, and Tai Chi. As I stated earlier, Michael Elgin ends up winning this match. Pretty surprising. I don't think that anybody that I'm aware of really had Elgin winning that match. Um, I personally picked Tai Chi, yet another one I got wrong. How many have I gotten right <laughs> to date in this thing? Did I say Takahashi was going to beat Osprey? I believe I said Takahashi was going to beat Osprey. Um, so I think I got that one. But other than that, out of the ones we've gone through, I'm not sure. And I think I said I said Bullet Club was going to get Mysterio and, you know, friends, essentially. Um, so those two, I believe, I got correct. But everything else I'd gotten wrong <laughs> up until this point. Um, including this one, as Michael Elgin ends up winning the belt again, as I stated earlier, makes sense. He's a Westerner going forward. Michael Elgin, you know, good, you know, hoss kind of wrestler, strong guy. Another guy who doesn't, he doesn't do much on the mic at all. Again, New Japan, in comparison with WWE, you're not really on the mic. There's not a lot of promo time that you're putting on in New Japan unless you're doing it in the back. And Elgin's kind of a soft-spoken guy. You do not hear a lot from Michael Elgin. It's mostly actions, not as much words, which can go over fine with the Japanese fans, but, you know, in Americanized-style wrestling, probably not as great. And again, we're having Michael Elgin come to the Cow Palace as the never-open-weight title holder. So somebody who definitely needs to be working on his promo work, much in the same vein as Osprey, but can hold his own in the ring and is a traditional kind of you know, big-man babyface. Um, tai Chi loses this match. Um, I would expect him to get a hold of this belt sooner rather than later. So I understand that he lost this match, but they want to push Tai Chi as kind of a third option in Suzuki Goon for heavyweight singles outside of Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. And I think that this is the way they're, they're going to do it. So even though he lost this bout specifically, 
I see him getting another shot in the near future. As for Goto, he's the real wild card here because does he continue to wrestle for that belt? As a matter of fact, I think it's a Goto-Elgin rematch um, at the G1 special at the Cow Palace. So I suppose the answer is yes, Goto does continue to wrestle for that belt. Who knows, maybe he gets it back. Again, they hot shot that belt so much. Um, there is a chance that Goto could actually win that match. But it will be Hiroki Goto and Michael Elgin against each other. We'll see if they give Goto the belt back and continue with this feud. Or if they somehow move Goto onto another program here sometime soon. And maybe for the U.S. championship. I don't know. But, I mean, the closest Goto got to the heavyweight title was, of course, at the 2016 G1. Where he was the finalist against Kenny Omega. And then ever since then, he's been... More along kind of the lower rung of the card. You know, they could sneak him into the U.S. They could sneak him into the Intercontinental. Um, but he is somebody who has never had that heavyweight belt, and they could always put him back into a main event feud if needed. It would almost assuredly, though, be against a heel champion. And right now, Kenny Omega as the face. You can't imagine that's going to happen anytime around the corner here. The IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Championships, again, El Desperado and Kanemaru versus Rapongi 3K. The heels retain here. That one, I think I also got wrong because I said Rapongi 3K needed to be. I think this is one where I went back and forth. I said um, El Desperado and Kanemaru just got the belt, so I could see them hanging on to it. But Rapongi 3K is the better tag team. They're the best tag team in that division. They should have it. And I think I eventually went with Rapongi 3K, which again was incorrect. The heels use their Suzuki Goon shenanigans. I should just go with my gut, you know, because I said that the first time around. I should have just gone with my gut. But they use their Suzuki Goon shenanigans to end up winning here with Kanemaru, first of all, spitting the whiskey, uh, missing either Sho or Yo, I can't remember which one, and then hitting Desperado, who went down, but then later actually just taking the whiskey bottle and I believe whacking um, Sho over the head with it and allowing El Desperado to pick up the pin. So, I mean, it kind of depends on whether you are really into the Suzuki-Gun stuff or not. If that kind of stuff turns you off and bothers you, then I could see that being an issue. But if it doesn't and you're okay with it, you know, they they, they played off it relatively well. You know, I think Desperado's a decent wrestler. Um, I think Kanemaru lacks, even though he's kind of a grizzled veteran at this point. He just, he's never really been particularly great. But Desperado's pretty good. They are traditional heels. They'll do anything they possibly can to win matches. They always attack before the bell. And if that doesn't wear you out, then it might be your style of champion. But if it does, you know, that would probably grind on you. It certainly grind, I think, on most over time. But Rapongi 3K, I know we'll be back competing for those championships very soon. So the other matches on the card, what is left at this point? They were all non-title. Let's go with Jay White and Yoshihashi. Again, very strange tag here. Jane White and Yoshihashi versus Juice Robinson and David Finley. From the beginning, this one I got absolutely correct, and pretty much everybody who I read a preview of, um, you know, after I had put together mine, said the same thing, which was Juice Robinson's going to get the pin over Jay White to set up a U.S. title match, and that's exactly what happened, and the match is already set for the G1 special. It will be Jay White, the U.S. champion, defending against Juice Robinson, Juice hits Jay White with Pulp Friction to get the pin. And I don't know if Juice was on something in this match, but he was fired up. I know Juice is usually fired up, but he was on another level um, during the course of this match, just going crazy. 
you know, the swearing from Juice is no real surprise, but doing crotch chops, bouncing around like you wouldn't believe. I mean, he just did not stop for the entire match, and he and Finley had a great time out there. So that was, it was fun to see, because those guys are really fun. They have a ton of fun, and it's good to watch people, you know, out enjoying their jobs, as those two do. Yoshihashi at this point, and I don't know because I've, as I've mentioned in previous casts, I've been watching New Japan since 20, since the beginning of 2016, end of 2015, okay? So now for about two and a half years, and I don't know if Yoshihashi was ever more than kind of mid-card filler, or even lower-card filler, before I started watching him that time period, but if he ever was, it hasn't really hit me. He's booked very oddly. He's booked to lose. I guess it's not that odd. He's booked to lose. He's booked to take the pin a lot of times for chaos. He didn't lose here. Um, but that's generally his role. He's not like an upper-level guy. And I want to say that more towards the beginning of the chaos run, because I think he's one of the original members, if I'm not mistaken, um, You know, back when it was like Nakamura, Ishii, Yano, Okada, Yoshihashi... Gato, you know, I think back in that time, he was certainly higher up on the card, but now, yeah, he's just essentially there to take pinfall losses. Um, so, again, for, that's what I'm trying to say, is for him, storyline-wise, going forward, there really is no storyline. And I, I guess, you know, you see that so often in WWE, where you look at guys like Zack Ryder, you know, or guys like, again, he was on Jericho's podcast, as I mentioned before, I think it was last week or the week before, Wade Barrett. Um, you know, and they're on the card, but they're in the filler segment, and there's no direction, and they're just there to take up time, you know, in the show. That's the kind of Yoshihashi's role, and again, you don't see that very often in New Japan, but that's where we are with him, and we'll see if that changes going forward, but I, I have no reason to believe it's going to. For Juice and Jay, you know that they're going to be in a match for David Finley, it's kind of sort of the same role as Yoshihashi, except he's a lot more upbeat with it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, he's kind of the Yoshihashi of Tanahashi and Friends, or, or uh, Taguchi and Friends, depending on how you want to look at it. But he's the guy that kind of takes a lot of the pinfall losses, and, um, you know, again, he's an energetic guy. You know, definitely wish the best for David Finley going forward. So the other one that I wanted to talk about, too, was the tag match between Suzuki and Sabre against the team of Ishii and Yano. I'm going to be dead serious with everybody here. I don't know who won that match. I don't and look at who won that match. I probably watched about the first half of the match and then never finished it. And I kind of don't want to wa- look at to see who won it because I legitimately don't know who won it. And I still have the rest of the match to watch. So um, you know, that's, that's where this review is going to lack. I don't know who won that match. And I probably won't know before the time that I'm done recording this because I'm pretty close to being done here. But I, I think, if I had to speculate, I think that Suzuki and Sabre won. Just because they were the Rev Pro champions. Th- that's what sort of made this match interesting. So Suzuki and Sabre are the Rev Pro champions, a British promotion. They are their tag champions heading into this match. And Ishii is the champion, the Rev Pro champion, heading into this match. And as a matter of fact, I think Ishii defeated Zack Sabre Jr. for that championship. Um... So New Japan doing crossover work with Rev Pro, uh, promoting their belts on this card. None of the belts, as far as I'm aware, were up for to up to change. I should guess I should say in that match. Um, I don't think that Suzuki and Sabre's Rev Pro titles were on the line, but 
regardless, I think that they won. I'm sure it was a fantastic match. I watched the first part of it where Sabre was kind of messing around with Yano, you know, having Yano's arms pulled behind him. And I definitely watched the beginning where Ishii and Suzuki got into the ring together and just put each other's heads right up, each other's foreheads right up against each other. And, you know, those two are always aggressive, always fun to watch. I'm a big fan of both of them. Um, and they're just violent guys. And you have got to respect both of those guys with the way they wrestle and what they've done in their careers. You would think that Ishii and uh, Suzuki have a singles match coming up. Who knows if it's going to be at the G1 special, but if it's not, it's got to be very soon thereafter. So who else is left? I can't think of anybody. I think I might have done it. I might have run through that card. There's no Rambo like in Wrestle Kingdom or anything like that for me to talk about where they get everybody else on the card. I think I actually took up everybody. So with that being said, to wrap up, Dominion 2018 absolutely amazing show please go to new japan world and get it right now if you don't want the rest of june we do have some um kuzuna road shows at the end which are just basically new japan's shows leading up to another major event but so they're almost what i would kind of refer to as house shows but they broadcast them so you, you've got those coming up at the end of june but you can go back, watch Dominion, go back, watch Best of the Super Juniors. If you're new to New Japan World, you can go back, watch Wrestle Kingdom, all the old Wrestle Kingdoms, catch yourself up with history, um, which is great. I mean, it's much like the WWE Network in that capacity. But I implore those of you who have never seen New Japan Pro Wrestling before and are looking for something new to go try it out, you will not be disappointed, particularly if you really are truly a pro wrestling fan. So again, I'm excited for the future. I'm excited as to where New Japan is going to be heading in 2018. Um, I'll finish off this episode just by trying to wrap up the Jericho stuff because I know I was a little all over the place with that during the course of the cast. And I'll just give kind of bullet point facts as to where I think his career stands right now. Not contracted with WWE. Last time he showed up for WWE was the Grace Royal Rumble in April. He is now the IWGP Intercontinental Champion stated in his post-match press conference, which I watched last night, because now I am actually finishing up this recording on June 12th, which is Tuesday, that it's obvious that he's staying in New Japan for the long haul because he is the IC champion. He actually said this during his presser, okay? But at the same time, his main two competitors that you would expect him to wrestle at the G1 special at the Cow Palace, being either Tetsuya Naito or Evil, are both engaged in other matches. So that would lead me to believe that Chris Jericho is not going to be wrestling at the G1 Special at the Cow Palace. So if he doesn't wrestle there, which takes place in July, where is he next going to defend the IC Championship? Is he going to wait until the G1 Final, which wouldn't take place until mid to late August? That would be two months from now. So you know, are they going to let it sit around for that long? I don't know. But as I mentioned earlier, Chris Jericho has got to be careful because he does not want to burn any major bridges with WWE if he wants to continue to receive work from them. And he is right there on the edge of doing that. I think that if he works any matches for New Japan in America, I think he has probably overstepped that boundary. And he's at the very least going to get a very strong call from Vince McMahon, if not essentially be disinvited for the near future to participate in any WWE programs. So maybe Jericho's thinking better of it. As I stated earlier, we will have to see. But he did say he's in New Japan for the long haul. So 
maybe he defends this title one time against Evil and wins. And then Naito comes back and beats him for it. Uh, who knows? I, maybe he works Wrestle Kingdom 13. I have no idea. But definitely keep your eye out for what's going on with Chris Jericho. And I will also tell you that I think that this is probably going to open up a lot of WWE superstars' eyes to other opportunities outside of WWE. So those who are frustrated with their storyline might follow Cody, might follow Jericho, and go out and find something different, whether it's New Japan or another promotion that they can work with. We'll have to see. But you've got guys like Zack Ryder, like Cesaro, like Tyler Breeze, like The Revival, guys who know they're talented, who are extremely frustrated with what their position is, who can maybe start anew, essentially outside of WWE. And we'll have to see if, if that takes place. WWE's been able to lock in a lot of these talents from promotions, particularly like ROH and Impact. But if there's another new dog in town, like New Japan, who starts to get into the U.S., starts to really develop a fan base, already has the fans in Japan, and can pay some additional money to these guys to get them over, that might end up working. So, again, I went on a bit of a tangent there, but that's where things are with Chris Jericho. I'm going to give a prediction. Okay, here we go, because I've, I've got to finish up with a prediction. I can't just skirt my duties here and pretend I didn't talk about this. So we're going to make a prediction here. I predict that Chris Jericho will next defend the IWGP Intercontinental Championship at the G1 Final in Japan in August against EVIL. Um, he might be at the G1 Special in the Cow Palace, but it's going to be, again, more of a run-in type deal, a surprise type deal, where he comes in and attacks EVIL, maybe attacks Naito again, uh, maybe gets run off, maybe gets himself beat up a little bit. We'll have to see. But I think that he's going to defend that belt at the G1 Final in Japan in August, and not actually wrestle at the Cow Palace. And then who knows? He could end up beating Evil and then have a rematch with Naito for the IC title at Wrestle Kingdom 13. I don't know. Um, but this is the same guy here who's talking to you who predicted that Naito was going to beat Okada or having a rematch with Okada for the heavyweight title at Wrestle Kingdom 13. And that has kind of run off the rails uh, with the new coronation of Omega. So... Um, haven't exactly been correct on the predictions, predicted Dominion very poorly, um, but that's as a fan what you like. I mean, uh, something else for those who haven't watched New Japan, think of all the incorrect predictions I just made. And I watched the product, and I made that many incorrect predictions. I mean, some of you can just surmise I'm a complete moron, but I'm telling you I'm not. And for me to have gotten that many of them wrong just goes to show you that they certainly keep you on your toes in that promotion. So uh, please watch it, njpwworld.com. My name is Brendan Dennis, and I will talk to you soon.